Hello and welcome to the Surgical Society podcast with myself, final year medical student Frank Davis as your host. I'm interviewing interesting surgeons, doctors and medical students from up and down the country to bring you the most interesting content in medicine. Please make sure to follow this podcast as well as rate it and also follow our Instagram cu underscore surge sock. Now let's get into today's episode. So today I'm delighted to be joined by Mr. David Gordon, the Bunyan Doctor and Foot and Ankle Surgical Specialist. It's a pleasure to have you here today. Thanks very much, Frank. Thanks for inviting me. Very excited to be here. Before we sort of get into it and, and learn a little bit more about you, I'd like to start with some sort of quick fire questions, if that's okay. Um, yeah, sure. What um, is the best sort of TV show that you're watching at the moment? Anything that you're sort of sitting <clears throat> down and binging? I'm loving White Lotus. Oh. It is superb. Um, so the first series was great. That was uh, last year. And I've just finished watching the second series. And it's even better than the first. I would, yeah, strongly recommend um, anyone to watch that. Really, really good. Fantastic. No, my parents have watched that. They, they recommend it highly as well. Um, if you've got a big uh, sort of surgical day coming up with a, with a large list, what's your go-to pre-surgery breakfast? So I'm a, a creature of habit, so I wouldn't change um, anything specific just because I've got a big surgery day, but my breakfast is almost always midweek. Um, some natural yoghurt, normally three spoonfuls, um, two scoops of nuts, mixed nuts, so walnuts and almonds and pistachios and cashew, mm. uh, and then a chopped up bit of fruit, either an apple or a pear, and that is what I have Monday to Friday, almost without fail. Wow, very healthy as well. Um, and how do you unwind after a long day of surgery? I do like my whiskey. That's a very nice way to unwind. Nice. Um, relaxing uh, with my wife, uh, just having a chat. Um, I'm quite like my gaming, so I've got a VR headset. So um, not that that's necessarily relaxing, it can be, but um, blasting some zombies um, is a quite nice <laughs> way to sort of de-stress and release. Um, yeah, just, yeah, just, just kind of, um, or just relaxing, um, you know, on the sofa, just letting the, you know, letting the time wind down, um, in an evening, yeah, with a nice glass of single malt. Fantastic. I've just got not, an Im- not, not every, not every evening. <laughs> yeah. though, of I've got an image now of you sort of immediately getting home, putting on the VR headset and just sort of, you know, blasting <laughs> away in your living room. Um, and then last, <laughs> last one, do you, um, support a sports team? Um, short answers, no. Um, long answer is yes. So I've been really gripped by, um, the world cup that's just, just, you know, just been and gone, um, 2022. And, um, I trained up in Liverpool, so I've seen Liverpool play a few times when I was up there. Um, so if I was going to support any team, it would be Liverpool. I can't say that I do support them, but I'm just thinking, you know, football is a great game. Um, cause mm-hmm. I always play rugby at school and I thought, well, maybe I should start, you know, supporting Liverpool and taking a bit more of an interest. So, um, but I do like watching sport in general. So sports on particular, you know, national sport, um, you know, the six nations, um, you know, I'll always watch it. Um, so, you know, I'd support England, um, have been born in England, but no specific, uh, specific team, but push comes to shove Liverpool football club. Fantastic. Uh, you're called the the Bunyan Doctor. Uh, so can you tell us a little bit about sort of where that name came from and what sort of um, that means that you do on a day-to-day basis? 
So I'm um, I'm a foot and ankle orthopedic surgeon. So I um, trained um, in everything foot and ankle. Um, I actually did two fellowships when I went to Australia uh, in Sydney. I did six months of foot and ankle surgery and six months of knee surgery. So I worked um, in terms of knee surgery with a, a chap called Leo Pincheski, who's done more hamstring ACLs. I think he's retired now, but you know than anybody. Um, so I had really good exposure. Um, but as I became, when I when I got my consultant job after doing a trauma fellowship at the Royal London, um, I got a foot and ankle consultant job. So I tailed off the knee surgery. And then that was in 2011. And um, there was a new wave um, of interest in minimally invasive foot surgery, which grasped my attention, something I'd had no exposure uh, to at all. Um, so minimally invasive surgery, you know, is is a bit like keyhole surgery. It's using very small incisions with specialist instruments to do traditional open surgery, but through, you know, those small incisions. So that really grasped my interest. I saw the benefits um, in foot surgery, particularly over around hallux valgus or bunions. So I started, I got trained um, and I started, started doing that. And I really enjoyed it. I really enjoyed the outcomes um started to do more and more of it and then i ended up doing you know a large a lion's share of my work were, were bunions um so um i left the nhs actually um seven years ago so i'm in full-time private practice so um it's it's nice to have a niche uh, and be known for a particular field and although i do everything foot and ankle surgery i do like i like my bunions so um i i created a new website called the bunion doctor um you know to promote my services um and now i'm you know i'm a, a reasonably high volume surgeon i do um more, more than most in in the uk um and i've published the biggest series uh, in the world uh of my clinical outcomes at, at two wow. years so um I like to, you know, it, it's all a bit of fun, but also it's it's nice to have the the evidence um, to actually back up, you know, what I do. So yeah, so hence the bunion doctor. It's what I enjoy doing. Um, I like the patients. I like the outcomes, um, and I, I'm I'm keen on on continuing to disseminate, you know, you know, the, the data uh, as well as teach and train as well. Fantastic. So as you've sort of trained and and you you said you found that niche. Have you and yourself sort of seen any change with how sort of bunions are treated or all those deformities that you see? I think the biggest change is is yeah using a minimally invasive technique, but mm. but you know having done it for um, you know ten years nearly, um, it's been very slow to 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 be uptaken um, wow. because not a lot of not a lot of surgeons or consultants want to change their technique when they're already doing a well-established technique that works well for them. I did it at the very beginning of my consultant career. So it wasn't as difficult to, for me as to change it, you know, mid, you know, off your 10, 15 years yeah. experience. So because so few consultants are getting fellowship trained in it, um, there's less consultants doing it and then less training of, of registrars. So there's just a very slow dissemination um, in the UK that is. Um, so, but I think for me, that's been the biggest game changer um compared to open surgery and i think one thing that um has a it has a huge impact on minimally invasive surgery in foot surgery is for diabetic feet so i don't do diabetic foot surgery but the last thing you want with a diabetic foot you know is to make big incisions and you can do some incredible work um 
and there are some very skilled surgeons using the minimally invasive technique to reconstruct feet uh, in diabetics um, with with really good results and and much lower morbidity than than open surgery. So I think that's also um, you know a great benefit for that type of surgery. You said there about you had a, a couple of fellowships. You were sort of going down the knee route, then you sort of came back to to the foot. How was your journey into surgery? Was it an was it an easy run? Did it have ups and downs? Was this always the plan? Um, no, it wasn't. And yes, plenty of ups and downs. But you know, you've got to expect ups and downs in life. Um, and nothing is easy generally, particularly in medicine. Um, you know, it, it's a tough career to get um, where you want to go. Often, so I am. Um, what one thing that was easy for me. Um, before you know when I was at school is I would always wanted to be a doctor I didn't really consider any other career yeah. so I was quite lucky in fact I just that's just what I wanted to do um and so coming out of medical school it was it wasn't orthopedic surgery didn't really um spark my interest until I was um yeah finishing medical school actually um I wanted to be a pediatrician so I was going into medical school thinking I'll do pediatrics um, but I'm a very practical person. Um, and, you know, looking back through my childhood, Meccano, Lego, taking things apart to seeing how they work, trying to put them all back together again. Mm. You know, I built a car um, after I graduated. Um, so it was all very, for me, very, very practical skills, which I really enjoyed. Um, when I used to do woodwork with my, with my uncle, uh, restore classic cars and stuff. So I then thought, okay, yep orthopedics is, is is my bag it was just like being in a workshop lots of fun um and so from there as i when i graduated did my house jobs i did orthopedics as a house job and then thought right yeah that's what i'm going to going to do and then as as you progress through your career um you sort of have to whittle down what, what you know what subspecialty you want to do so i really enjoyed knees i enjoyed foot and ankle um and i think it's quite good to have um a breadth um you know perhaps two subspecialties that you're interested in um, because that just gives you more options in, in the job market. It can give you a bit more of a holistic view um, when you're treating patients. Um, now, not all specialties do lend themselves to being able to have that flexibility. Um, but then when I became, a, you know, was applying for consultant jobs, I was applying to both foot and ankle consultant jobs and knee jobs. So I had a double the number of jobs to choose from. In fact, I had a knee surgery, uh, knee consultant interview at the Royal London Hospital where I did my trauma fellowship. Uh, and then a few days earlier, I had uh, the foot and ankle consultants um, interview, and it's just what came first, and that's that's oh, wow. <laughs> that's where that's where it went. Yeah, yeah. But I was happy to do both. You're obviously um, a bunion specialist. Is there anything that we can be doing to keep our feet and ankles healthy uh, to sort of avoid that, especially people that um, to, you know use them a lot for for sport? Yeah, it's. Um, I think on. In terms of bunions, unfortunately, um, once you have a bunion, you know, you always will have a bunion and bunions are progressive and there's nothing you can do to halt the progression or reverse it other than surgery. So, um, and bunions aren't related to use. Um, they're not related to footwear. They are related to your genetics. Uh, or if you're just unlucky, it just happens. Mm. So um, in terms of bunions, there's, there's not a lot you can do apart from, you know, wide accommodative soft footwear to you know accommodate the bump on the side of the foot and then when things become bad enough then you can you know consider surgery um i think the 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 common things i see in the athletic population or the you know the weekend warrior or those who want to 
um, change their lifestyle, particularly around um, this time of year in January. You see lots of New Year's resolutions. I'm going to get fit. Mm. And just people go off and they place demands on their bodies that um, are so excessive compared to what you know they're used to. That's when you get get those injuries. So you've got to wait. And this this goes for any anything physical, any physical challenge or any physical um, next step for you know f- f- for you is to allow the body to adapt. And the way you do that, um, you layer. So you do small incremental increases in the demands on your body. You rest. And the two important components of rest are eating and sleeping um, and consistency. So with all those things wrapped up, that is where you can really reduce your risk of risk of injury. This year, um, you ran four marathons in October, one each weekend, if that's correct. Uh, what an incredible feat. And, and I've, I've written down here, is this the, the fittest surgeon on the planet? Would you, would you mark yourself as that? <laughs> um, uh, so uh, I don't know if I'm <laughs> it's probably unlikely there's always someone fitter than you there's always someone faster better more intelligent more motivated mm. that's just that is just life um, and I'm sure there are surgeons out there who are far more accomplished accomplished than I um, you know I think something like that um, you know doing the marathon challenge that I did is you know is is often twofold and it was for me is one is to you know do some good uh raise some money for charity so i raised nearly twelve thousand pounds for a foot and ankle charity called steps to walk um which are based in the us um and the other is to challenge yourself you know what are you capable of what can you do um are your goals high enough um if you've achieved something what's the next level of that achievement for you in the future um and that can be physical, that can be mental, that can be in business, it can be at work. Um, and it's a bit, you know, like I was saying before about setting targets. Um, you know, you, you should try and set targets for me, I believe, and, and then push yourself. Now, other people think, well, I'm quite happy, thank you, as I am. Well, I, don't, I don't want to need or go and do X, Y or Z. Um, you know, that's also fine. Um, but for me, I'm uh, just one of those people who can't really sit still and just always likes to do kind of the, the, the next thing. Um, and the, the the marathon challenge was um, was born off the back of a stepping stone of the year before when I did um, two Ironmans in two weeks. And even that story was um, just it, it came by chance because of COVID. Yeah, no, I've also got here and the year before two Ironmans in, in two weeks. Where does the motivation come from? Where what was what was the initial spark that was like, oh, I want to do an Ironman, but also let's do one the week afterwards as well. <laughs> um, yeah, it was it wasn't as, as as planned as that actually. So what what happened was I I'm, I'm quite keen cyclist, recreational cyclist. You know, nothing competitive. Um, but you know, we'd, we'd go out every weekend. I'd do some training in the garage, you know, midweek and I've done that for many years. Um, and I've got some friends who've done half distance Ironmans, um, or half, you know, distance triathlons, if you want to give them the proper, proper name. Um, and some of them were talking about, oh, doing an Ironman. I was like, an Ironman, that is nuts. You know, I don't think I could, um, you know, swim, um, you know swim bike and run those sorts of distances it just just seemed unfathomable to me 
Um, and it also had patients who'd done Ironman as well. And I think they're just, you're just nuts. And um, then I thought, well, you know, that's partly the point um, to, to push yourself, you know, into the next level, out your comfort zone, just see what you can do. So COVID came along and I just thought, well, this is a perfect opportunity. I'm, you know, work is considerably less busy. Mm-hmm. I've got more time. I've got, I'm lucky enough to have a garage with a bike. Um, then I got a treadmill um, and I, you know, had a local swimming pool and I thought, well, yeah, let's grab this opportunity where I've got a bit more time to train and, uh, and, you know, do an Ironman. So then COVID was so up and down with restrictions and closures, what you could and couldn't do. Um, my original plan was go to Estonia, to Tallinn. Um, sorry, the original plan was actually go to, to Austria. Um, and then that was moved to Tallinn a month later to get a bit more training time in. And it was in doubt whether even we could go and travel to Tallinn. This was in July. So I had a backup two weeks earlier, uh, the outlaw full distance um, triathlon in Nottingham. So I signed up for both events and I wasn't quite sure whether who was what was going to happen because of COVID. So it turned out that both events were on and I'd already, you know, Ironman's not a cheap event, you know, let alone the, you know, the admission fee, you know, you're playing tickets or anything else. I thought, well, why not two weeks later? Let's just do it. <laughs> so I did, I did the Outlaw Nottingham and then two weeks later I um, did the Ironman um, Talon. So, so yeah, that's how it came about. Wow. So you finish the, the Outlaw one in, in Nottingham, you cross the finish line where where's your head at that point thinking that you're gonna have to do it again how do you sort of motivate yourself surely it can't just be because of the the admission fee (laughs) no no (laughs) it wasn't just it wasn't just that um it was it was very much i'll see how i feel and i had two weeks um my my trainer john geller who's a fantastic uh trainer he's based in hertfordshire um uh, and he'd been mentoring me over the whole training period. He'd done all my training programs. Fantastic guy. Um, gave me lots of support. And we had a conversation. I said, look, is this possible? Is this something I could achieve? Mm. Um, and he said, yes, he believed I could do it. And we just said, it's all about recovery. So let's just see how you recover. Um, so, yeah, the, the that day, the following day was was tough. It was, you know, not easy. It's not easy running a marathon, let alone doing the swim and the, and the bike you know, before then. Um, and I felt very tired, you know, lots of, you know, achy muscles. Um, so the first three days after the Ironman was, were, were difficult. It was, you know, pretty tired. Um, but as the days progressed, things kind of just got a little bit better, a little bit better. I was still quite doubtful whether it was a good idea or not. Um, and then by after one complete week of, of rest, I started to do a bit of light training, bit of bike, bit of swimming, bit of running. And like, although it didn't feel me with joy to do that <laughs> whole thing again, it was um it was like, you know, why not? Let let's just let's just go for it. So um yeah, traveled on the Thursday, um, for the race on Sunday. And and then once you're there, you really it just yeah. the whole atmosphere, you know, I went with a bunch of friends. Uh, my wife came and it was, you know, the Iron Man brand. They do it very well. It just became extra- incredibly exciting. And um, yeah, I just physically, I felt capable, um, you know, leading up to it. Um, and then, and then, yeah, 
went on and did it. Yeah. So yeah, physically you're able to do it, and then when you mentally you cross the line for the for the second time, talk us to us about like the emotions that you felt. You had pushed yourself maybe further than you thought you could have gone. It was very emotional, more emotional the second time. Um, I think partly because I'd done one two weeks before. Partly my wife was there. Um, partly it was the Iron Man brand, and you've got this whole runway concourse and. Uh, music and the whole fanfare when you cross the line the red carpet mm. um the conditions were pretty awful so for the so you start off with um, a 2.4 mile swim um and then you do a 112 mile bike ride and then you do the marathon 26.2 miles so the swim was very very choppy they were pulling people out of the water people were um basically they weren't they were just stopping their race you know yeah. at the swim stage um and but I, I found I kind of managed it. It was okay, and I'm not a strong swimmer. I, I pretty much learned to swim for the Ironmans. I had swimming lessons. I could swim, but I I didn't know how to swim properly. Mm. So I was a novice swimmer. Um, the bike was just howling wind, sideways rain. You know, it was 112 miles of unpleasantness. Um, so that was also quite exhausting. Um, and then it brightened up for the run. Um, but the run was yeah, the run is always. The tough one in an Ironman, it really is. Um, it's just you have to muster a huge amount of mental strength, let alone physical strength, um, you know, to complete it. So, yeah, there's a combination, and then crossing the finish line was was fantastic, um, and it was emotional. Definitely cried, wife cried, um, lots of hugs and kisses. Mm. Um, but it was, you know, something I'd I'd spent, uh, you know, nine months building towards um you know so um yeah and just just the feeling of achievement was was fantastic so obviously professionally you're doing extremely well personally you're doing very well in terms of your you know these these challenges that you take on do you have any advice for people or what's your secret really you know you, you've already talked about your breakfast that it's always the same is it that sort of discipline that gets you through these <laughs> these challenges <laughs> um I don't think there's any secret, but um, I think I'm not one of those guys who has, you know, 12 black suits in the wardrobe and wears the same suit. I probably in a way wish I could or would did, but um, um, I do like, uh, you know, I think discipline is is, is extremely important uh, in anything you do or if you want to achieve things. Um, discipline, focus, consistency. Um and some would say I'm too focused um, mm. because I can be quite tunnel vision at times. There are lots of traits that might make you successful, but can also be detrimental. Um, so I'm I'm always working hard on being a, a more well-rounded person because mm. when you are that focused, um, often you can neglect, you know, other things, you know, people who are close to you, family, friends, and, um, you know, it, it, that can make life more difficult for them and, and for you. So you can't ever lose sight of that. So I think what comes with maturity is are those things, that insight. Um, but, you know, because I've got a family, I've got three kids and a wife at home, I've always had to consider them. Um, and it really actually made me value doing the Ironman, value, you know, their time, their support um, more than I had done, you know, previously how important they were. But yeah, I think going back to, and you know, life is not always about achieving, achieving, achieving. You know, you've got to have fun. 
you've got to enjoy it. You've got to enjoy the journey. It's not all about the destination. Um, and that also is something that I've learned uh, over the past few years. Um, you know, you've got to enjoy that journey, not just the destination, because there's no point flogging your guts out and having a horrible time doing whatever you're doing for months or years and then achieving it and then thinking, right, I've achieved it. But uh, yes, I've achieved it, but it just it wasn't very enjoyable getting there. So um, I think, yeah, you know, you've got to construct uh, an enjoyable life, have an enjoyable life. Um, and, you know, it isn't all about achievement, achievement, achievement. But we do live in a society of CVs, you know, when you're applying for jobs. Um, and um, it's funny, we're having a conversation with my kids today about, uh, I, I did a, a doctorate, I did an MD um, uh, at the beginning of my training. So I've got a big fat thesis, 300 pages long. And my, my daughter's 15 doing her GCSEs. She's saying, well, what's the point? Why? Um, so, you know, you're just going to put it on your CV, but no one's actually going to really know mm. Um you know what you've done and, and why you've done it which is true but you know that's how unfortunately in our professional careers we do get judged um you know publications and, and higher degrees and other achievements um but there is i don't know if, i don't know if there's another way or a better way in as a job interview um you know selling yourself um then other than you know letters after your name obviously there's, there's other things you can do you know when you have a conversation with somebody at an interview but um yeah i think um it's good to achieve but just gotta just gotta enjoy that journey um i think that's the that's probably the most important thing and reflecting back do you ever feel like you have sort of maybe neglected or not given your family as much time because you're pursuing these sort of professional or or the personal sort of challenges so one thing that has stuck in my mind were um we're doing my um, professional orthopedic exams, you know, the, the, the FRCS ORF exams. And and for any, um, you know, medical um, higher degree or diploma professional exams, um, there it, it is a real tough gig because you've got to, you've got to work um, and you've got to study and you've got to see the, you know, the pressure of the exams. It's really, really, very difficult. But you only really want to, um, do those exams once. So for me, um, it's a conversation. So at that time I had two daughters, um, one was a, a baby, she was months old. Um, and you just kind of had a conversation with my wife, Nicole, and I just said, look, you know, this is what I want to achieve. I become a consultant. I can't without these exams. Mm -hmm. Um, this is what the exams are going to take. Um, and you know, I only want to go through this process once. So, uh, you know, I, I just had that focus, came home, spent, you know, half an hour with the kids. And then this is after work, you know, you're already pretty exhausted, half an hour with the kids upstairs to the study and, and then studied and all the weekend studying, you know, so in terms of neglecting in one respect, but a means to an end. So, um, you know, we, we do do a very tough career. We do need support from our family and friends and partners um, at times, particularly in, you know, doing exams. Also, for other reasons, you know, you might just have a crappy day at work and yeah. all the emotions get to you. But um, I think then you've just got to think, well, you know, once I have achieved this, that's the stepping stone to, to the next thing that I want to achieve. So, um, 
Yeah, it's very difficult, but you know, no regrets on that. But I think you've always got to appreciate the people around you and how they are helping and supporting you, and and, and make sure they know that. Absolutely. And if your daughter did say she's doing her GCSEs now, oh, Dad, I, I want to be an orthopedic surgeon as well. Is that a career you'd recommend, or do you think you'd maybe push her into something else? Or maybe push the, is the wrong word there, but I yeah, I'm a believer believer of 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 giving my kids the freedom of choice. I have not dissuaded them or persuaded them uh, toward medicine in, in in either way. If they have an interest in it, I'm more than happy to support that if they don't, but I would never be active, actively discourage them. Um, it's, you know, working in the NHS is, um, you know, has significant challenges, also has significant rewards. Um, I think it's also important to understand that um, we do become very institutionalized within the NHS and there is a bigger, wider world out there beyond it. Mm. Um, and it's always worth exploring, um, things outside the national health service because while you need it, well, you know, while it's a symbiotic relationship and particularly when it comes to training, um, you know, you're not bound or tied to it forever. And there is a world of opportunity out there, um, which you need to be aware of and explore, which you can take the skills that you've learned as a, as a clinician and, and, you know, use them, use them outside the NHS. And I'm not talking about just private practice. There's, there's so many other things that you can do. So I think that's, I think that's probably an important message for, for people listening who are embarking early on, on in their careers. Um, cause you, you gain so many different skills um as a doctor as training for a, as a doctor um then that you know they are transferable to a whole wide range of, of different different disciplines with your four consecutive um marathons in october each sort of weekend you did that for the steps to walk charity do you mind just telling us a little bit about that charity so the steps to walk charity is a humanitarian foot and ankle charity um and it was founded by um a very well-known um, foot and ankle surgeon called Mark Myerson, who's um, originally from South Africa, but but lives in the States. Um, and he he's sort of a household name amongst foot and ankle surgeons around the world. And the charity um, performs missions um, in um, less advantageous countries where the mission involves a group of surgeons going to a location, whether it be Africa or South America, and they um, treat surgically significant lower limb deformities and also train the local surgeons in those techniques so they can continue continue that work. So um, when I, I kind of, I applied, I'd never done a, a standalone marathon. So I did the two Ironmans. Then the following year or soon after that, I think I applied in the ballots for the London Marathon not expecting to get a place. I think you've got a one in 20 chance of getting it each, each time you apply. And then lo and behold, I got a place the first time <laughs> of entering. So um, I thought, oh, that's great. Um, really pleased. And I had a chat with the wife and I said, you know, London Marathon in October, you know, do you mind if I, and the training is, is a lot less onerous than mm. it is for the Ironman. The Ironman's, you know, obviously three sports training up to 20 hours a week. So, um, but then I thought, well, and then people, yeah, people started asking me whether I was going to do it for charity. 
when I did the two Ironmans in two weeks, I raised money for Alzheimer's Research UK. Um, and I said, well, I can't really ask people for money for charity donations because I've just, you know, because what I've done, you know, last year, it's got to be something a bit bigger, a bit better <laughs> um, for people to part with their cash. So I just conceived this sort of, well, I've done two Ironmans in two weeks. Why not four marathons in four weeks? Mm. Um so I put it to John Geller, my, my trainer, um, and he laughed and said, yeah, go for it. Why not? So there's, there's a, I, I, I poured over, there's a like world, worldwide marathons.com or something to that effect that lists every single marathon that is going on in the world. And then knocked up a spreadsheet in October and they're generally on Sundays. And I thought, well, what do I do? Do I go international? Do I keep, keep it in the UK? And I just thought, well, um, this sounds like um i can make it a bit of an adventure um and i do some consulting work for a for a company in in the states a foot and ankle company and i was going out there for um for some work and i said we we're trying to work out dates and i just said well i can come on that that week if i can find a marathon nearby because i'm gonna do london and then three further marathons so it turns out that the second week was the Boulder Fall, which is in Boulder, Colorado. Um, so I said, yeah, I found a marathon. I'll be coming over. <laughs> so that's why I went to Boulder for the second marathon, along with the jet lag and the elevation and the hills. And then the third week, um, I did Amsterdam. And then the fourth week I did, I wanted a, a local marathon where I could have some family and friends support. So mm -hmm. there was one in Oxford, Abingdon. And that was the, that was the fourth one. Fantastic. Also bonkers, but fantastic. Uh, is there any sort of future challenges? Is it going to be something like eight? I don't know. Something's in eight weeks. <laughs> um, I've not got anything planned. Um, I'm I'm a never say never type of person. I think whatever I do needs to be compatible with um, family life and work life. Um but also something quite special. So I, I'm, I, yeah, look, I, I don't know. I've, um, I like learning, um, and I like learning. And what was great about the Ironman and the marathons was, I really enjoyed um, learning about exercise physiology and adaptation. Um, you know, things that that work and don't work for recovery. Yeah. Um, so I whatever i do next we'll have to have kind of a few learning objectives as well um but it's got to be something new and novel um so it might be something on the bike i don't know um i don't think it'll be swimming related i mean it probably will be something physical mm -hmm. um but yeah but nothing in the next uh next couple of years i'd like to do a, a mission with steps to walk sure. in the next couple of years and then something something after that so nothing planned at the moment i'll be excited to to see what see what you end up with um something that we we like to sort of ask um all our guests is, as as many of them are our surgeons is to reflect on a, on a day that's where you've had your your toughest day you would say as your as a surgeon or something where you know maybe things haven't gone quite to quite to plan I mean, probably the thing that does spring to mind is when I was doing um, a trauma fellowship at the Royal London. Um, you know, you do get severely sick, injured, um, injured patients. And we, I was helping reconstruct 
um we were working up one end i think on the pelvis and there was a vascular surgeon working on the other end on the limb on the lower limb and um the patient had an arterial laceration and was losing uh, a lot of blood very quickly um and it was i mean you could see potentially this patient just you know dying in front of you um so after we closed the pelvic fracture that that did help um reduce some of the the volume loss um and then the vascular surgeon was working on an arterial repair and thankfully um did manage to repair it without um any significant lower limb ischemia but that's probably the closest i've come to a a really horrible you know death on the table type scenario and on the opposite side um is there any sort of particular time where you've you know felt really sort of happy about how something's gone or has been particularly rewarding? So for me, um, as a surgeon, um, volumes are very important. So the more you do, um, like anything in life, you know, the better you should become. Um, I think the most important part of that is though, and for any surgeon, um, is surgery will always keep you honest, um, as, as medicine will the moment you take your eye off uh, the ball or an operation thinking, oh yeah, I've got this sussed or this is easy because surgery is never easy. Um, that's the time when, when mistakes and errors can happen. So that's, that's the first thing. So you've always got to, even in the most simplest thing, um, just remember that, um, you know, surgery is the human body. It's complex. You're, you're treating a human being. Um, but when things go right, when um, I'm doing an operation and everything just perfectly flows, all the steps go without without a hitch, perfectly smoothly, it's very, very satisfying. Um, but probably the most satisfying thing for me in terms of surgery are patient outcomes, you know, seeing a happy patient, mm -hmm. seeing um, a patient's life being transformed and funnily enough bunions do transform patients lives um uh, you know i've got such happy patients um from from the surgery that i've i've done because you know in orthopedics it's about um pain and function so you remove pain you increase function and i've had patients cry when they see their feet at the two-week stage because it's a two-week post-op stage it's such a remarkable transformation from a severe bunion to a straight foot um so i i really um you know for me the biggest buzz is, is seeing a happy patient um and it's great to be able to to achieve that outcome well that's a fantastic note to end on and and it's been incredible talking to you about surgery about your journey and about fitness so thank you so much for coming on today Oh, thanks very much, Frank. Um, and good luck to, to to all your listeners if they're embarking on a on a, a career in medicine. And I'd just like to say an offer, actually. Um, so I'm um, uh, I'm very keen on research, particularly uh, on outcomes. Um, and you know, being uh, a bunion specialist, um, I I collect data on all my patients' um, outcome data. So I'm I'm preparing to. Um, collect data on uh, a five-year study. So previously I published um, the biggest um, outcome series of keyhole bunion surgery 
um, it's called Mika, um, at two years. Um, so nearly 300 patients, which is quite sizable for an orthopedic um, study. So I'm going to look at those patients um, at five years now. It's a slightly bigger project. So I'm looking for people who are interested in, in research, interested in getting their names on papers, interested in furthering their careers. It doesn't have to be in orthopedics. It can be anything. Um, but if you do want to get in touch um, and are interested in getting involved in, in that project, which will start running 2023, um, yeah, please get get in touch with me. So shall I give you my email or can you put it in the show notes? I'll put it. Uh, yeah, I'll put it in the I'll put it in the show notes and it will be in, in the description. Perfect. And if you want to um, see the sort of work I do, um, you can check out thebunyandoctor.com, thebunyandoctor.com. Great. Thank you. That was the Bunyan Doctor, Mr. David Gordon, who is the fittest surgeon on the planet. And if you would like to be a part of that exciting research program, then check out the description in the link for this podcast. In two weeks' time, I've got medical student Lizzie Forshaw talking to me, who was ranked number one in her year for her OSCE performance. If you'd like to know how to perform better in your OSCEs, please tune into that episode. <laughs>